Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, our Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at Whit Riverside. Yeah, week five of this uh, All One series, Keely mentioned you've had a lot of content so far, a lot to digest. You've had two weeks of Steve looking at how to do the Bible and how to read the Bible well. And I know some of you bought his book. And that book's a bit like a Dundee cake. It's dense. And you are going to need to work your way through that book if you are currently reading it. Um, and anyone like Dundee cake? Yeah. One person likes... Two people like Dundee cake. Three people like Dundee cake. That's good. A dense fruit cake. Think of a Christmas cake. Any kind of... It doesn't be Dundee. It can be any kind of cake you like. It's dense. A bit like me. Right. Um... <laughs> We've had the evening sessions as well. Give me the con, please, Mark. Okay, forget that. We've had the evening sessions as well, where we've had a chance to talk and reflect a bit more intimately. And uh, the reason we've not put those talks directly, if you're watching this online, we've not put those talks directly onto our YouTube channel is because we want to create a more intimate environment for reflection. So those aren't... Yes, thank you. Is it working now? We'll we'll hope it is. Yeah, great, thank you. Um, So, yeah, today, really, I want to just focus in on one particular thing. I want to focus in uh, on what does love look like in the kingdom of God? What does love look like in the kingdom of God? In Paul's letter to the church in Colossae, he writes this. He says, for he, and that's God, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son, Jesus, he loves. That's in 1 Colossians 12, 13. And it's very powerful imagery here. Imagine your favourite adventure story, adventure book or film where it's good versus evil. And the, the hero makes a sortie into enemy territory and rescues somebody and brings them back into safety. And that's the imagery Paul is trying to capture in this letter to the church in, in Colossae. He's trying to say, God has come and rescued you from a dominion of darkness and brought you into a kingdom of light and love, the kingdom of Jesus So if you're a follower of Jesus today, you've been on this journey. You've been taken from a kingdom of darkness, a dominion of darkness, and brought into a kingdom of light. And though most of you, I think, physically live in Kent, spiritually you live in this kingdom of light. You live in a place of light and love where God has placed you. That's where your identity is. It's a kingdom of love. It says this in in 1 John. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in them. And this verse is normally used at weddings, but actually it's a really profound verse if you think about it. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in them. So God is love. His kingdom is a kingdom of love. He takes us into this place of love, and then we live in love. And God's love lives in us. I found this great, well, Kitty found this great T-shirt yesterday in a charity shop in Folkestone. Lenny Kravitz, let love rule, £1.50. I thought, I'm having it. <laughs> well, you thought, actually, you thought, you thought he's having it. And, and it turned out, I wasn't even looking. I bought a small hamster thing for, for Solomon. Sound activated. Sorry, it doesn't matter. Um, charity shops, you've got to love them. Anyway, it's a kingdom of love. It's about love, and we, and we are channels of God's love. 
And throughout Jesus' time on the earth, he used different stories and different metaphors to try and convey to the people around him what this love was like in the kingdom. And those who are listening and those who are watching, I think, often try to kind of get a handle on what Jesus was talking about. And often they try to find the boundaries or the limits of the love that Jesus was describing. I think it's human nature, isn't it? You know, we like to know how fast things are, how big things are, how, how, how much things are. We look for the parameters, the limits on most things, because most things we know in life have limits. Bless you. Most things we have in life have limits. Things start and stop. They have defined boundaries. They have edges. And so Jesus is describing the kingdom of love. And people say, well, well kind of how big is this love? How far, how wide does this love go? And one time you got Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, he comes to him and he says this. He says this, this statement. He says, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And there are different thoughts on why Peter used this number seven to ask how many times he should forgive people. If you read Luke's gospel, there's an account in there where Jesus says, if someone sins against you seven times in a day and keeps coming back and asking for forgiveness then you should forgive them seven times in the same day. And so perhaps Peter is just trying to show Jesus he's a good listener. He's paying attention. So Jesus, is it seven times I need to forgive somebody? Others think that Peter might have been trying to be magnanimous and just show how how much he could forgive. Jewish rabbis at the time often taught that you only had to forgive someone three times because they believed that this was the number that God would forgive you. There was a rabbi, uh, Jose ben Judah, Judah, who lived around 180 AD, and he was recorded saying this. If a man commits a transgression one time, he is forgiven. If for the second time, he is forgiven. If for the third time, he is forgiven. If for the fourth time, he is not forgiven. As it is said, thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel, yea, for four, I will not avert it. And that's a quote from Amos 2.4. And it looks like some rabbis had extrapolated what Amos said to say, actually, God only will forgive you up to a maximum of three times. And after that, you're in trouble. And so if you follow a rabbi like this one, then you might decide, what's the point of forgiving someone four times if God only forgives them three? And so you'd limit your forgiveness to three times. And so perhaps, going back to Peter, perhaps he thought, well, if I doubled this number and added one, I'd appear to be really, really magnanimous. Seven times. I'm going to forgive somebody Seven times. Perhaps he thought that would just show Jesus how generous he could be in his forgiveness. Perhaps he thought Jesus would be impressed by him upping the stakes in this way. But Jesus' response goes way, way beyond seven. Jesus says this, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. And some translations say 77 times seven It doesn't matter whether you end up with 77 or 490. The important thing here is not the number. The number isn't important. In Jesus' time, seven was used to describe completeness. And so, essentially, Jesus is saying, you need to forgive somebody to the point where things are completed. Essentially, you forgive an unlimited number of times. You keep forgiving until you've got the job done. And to illustrate this point about the, the extent, the, the limitless love that Jesus was displaying and God was displaying in forgiveness, he told a story. He told a story about a servant who amassed an impossibly large debt. It says 
that this man owed a debt of 10,000 bags or talents of gold to a king. Now, if you go out and Google this, you'll find that people have tried to figure out how, just how big this number is. Some say millions, some say billions. It's a huge, unimaginably large amount of money that this servant owes to the king. Jesus is using exaggeration here to make a point. The debt was utterly, utterly unmanageable by the servant. But the servant in the story, he begs for mercy. He says, be patient and I'll pay it back. Lying through his teeth. He's got no way, no means to pay back such a huge debt to the king. And the king in the story knows this is impossible. He knows the situation. And in an act of pure grace, he takes pity on the servant and he basically wipes the debt clean. The unimaginably large debt is wiped out by the generous king. Now Jesus tells this parable to address this misconception that God's love has some kind of limits on it. That we can do something so bad that God won't forgive us, that God won't love us. The king in the story is God. And the king shows this incredible act of grace and generosity and wipes out the servant's debt. And Jesus is saying God will do anything to reconcile you back to himself. God's love and forgiveness has no limits in the way that you understand limits. Now, talking of love and no limits, many of you have heard the sad news that Meatloaf passed away. Didn't some of you not know that? Passed away on the 20th of January. Now, Meatloaf was well known for singing rock ballads all about love. Any Meatloaf fans in? A few, a few. Now, you might not like his style of music, but following his death, you may have noticed something resurfaced on the internet, on social media. And it's a conundrum. It's intrigue around one of the greatest music mysteries of all time. And let me show you what the problem is. his music video nostalgia there for you. They don't make them like that anymore, do they? So the conundrum, I will do anything for love, but I won't do that. Now, he repeats this phrase 30 times in this song. And ever since this song was released in 1993, fans have been confused. What is it that Meatloaf won't do? What is the thing that he won't do for love? What is the that in the song? Now, Jim Steinman, who, who wrote the song for Meatloaf, when they were recording this in the recording studio, he said to Meatloaf, he said, folks aren't going to get this. They aren't going to understand what the that is. They, they want to know what the that is. And Meatloaf said, it's obvious. It'll be fine. Jim Steinman was proved right for years. Every time Meatloaf was interviewed, hands would shoot up and they'd say, what's the that? Tell us what the that is that you won't do for love. And in the end, Meatloaf got so tired of being asked the same question over and over again. One time during an interview, he wheeled a huge blackboard out <laughs> into the press conference. And on it, he'd written the lyrics of the song. And he got out a stick. 
And he began to teach the people what the that was. Do you want to know? So he says, look, before every chorus there's a statement. In this case, I'll never stop dreaming of you every night of my life. Okay? Oh, is that lovely. I will do anything for love, but I won't do that. So what do we think that that is? He won't stop dreaming of you every night of his life. So basically, before every time he sings that chorus, he sings, says something, and I'll never stop doing that. And everyone's, oh, we get it. We get it. We get what the that is. This is one of the greatest music mysteries solved, so there you are. You're welcome. <laughs> now, when I read this article about this song, I was fascinated by how many people had misunderstood what the song was about, because I had exactly the same problem. I always thought, what is the that that Meatloaf wouldn't do? Perhaps he wouldn't go to a Celine Dion concert. <laughs> do anything for love, but not that. Perhaps he wouldn't become a vegan. I mean, what, what was it? I was trying to desperately think about what it was he wouldn't do, even though his love was so great in the song. I think what's interesting is that Meatloaf would do all these amazing things for love, but most of us thought there was a limit. There was a that. There was something that he couldn't do for love. And perhaps this misinterpreted version of the song comes closer, I think, to how most of us are when it comes to love. Because I think to some degree, we all can carry a that in our spirits. We all can carry something that limits our ability to express love. And I think Peter was looking for the that when he spoke to Jesus about forgiveness. Jesus, how many times do I have to forgive? Is it, is it seven times enough? Now, I'm sure Peter had needed to forgive people in his life. And if you read about Peter in the Gospels, he's quite an impulsive chap, quite a fiery guy, and I'm sure he would have also had to ask forgiveness from people. But perhaps the thought of forgiving someone seven times was, was enough. But for Peter, perhaps the thought of forgiving someone eight times was just a bridge too far, just too much. He was looking for the limits. But Jesus lifts the bar to a seemingly impossible height, doesn't he? He says there's no limit to love. There's no limit to forgiveness. In the kingdom where you now live, there's no limits in love. There's no that that you're going to find if you keep digging. Now you might carry a that today when it comes to expressions of love that flow through you to other people. And this might be for a whole range of reasons. It might be because of your upbringing, your circumstances, the way you've been treated, your traditions. We all carry stuff with us into that new kingdom of light. When Jesus comes to us and we, we say yes to him and we start to follow him, he doesn't wipe our memory clean. He doesn't wipe our history clean. We all carry ourselves into that new kingdom of light. And the things that have happened to us and the things that we think and believe and have received, they can limit God's ability to flow through us and show love to other people. And God doesn't wipe out our past, but he invites us to invite him into our past. He says, will you let me in? into your past so I can heal and I can restore and I can bring truth and I can bring reconciliation. 
This is the walk that Jesus has us all on, a walk towards healing and wholeness. And even though the servant in the story that Jesus told gets let off this unimaginable debt by the king, if you read the story, what happens next? He goes out and he physically assaults another servant for the few coins that that man owes him. He says, give me everything you owe me. Chokes him. And even though he's received this unimaginable act of grace and love, it hasn't touched him. It hasn't changed him. And he goes out and chokes the fellow servant for a few coins. And you can read more about what happens to him in that story. Just because you and I receive limitless love doesn't mean we become limitless love givers because of the that's that we can carry in our spirit. And those that's in our life, they can act as limiters. If we think about that song in the wrong way, I'll do anything for love, but I won't do that. I won't do that particular thing. So you sense a that in your life this morning. It could be limiting God's love flowing through you to other people. And I want to encourage you guys to lean in to God. If you feel like God is nudging you this morning, I encourage you to lean into him and take that that to him and ask for his healing, ask for his wholeness, ask for his grace and truth into that situation. Because when you and I follow Jesus, he's calling us on all the time. He's calling us more and more into that love. He said, will you go the extra mile? Will you go beyond what you think are the limits to what my love is. And he continually demonstrated that through stories and actions in his time on earth. He tried to show you and me what love looks like in the kingdom. And his ultimate demonstration of that was on the night he was betrayed when he he got down on his hands and knees and put a towel around his waist and he washed his disciples' feet. And he demonstrated to them what it looks like to love, what it looks like to serve. And then... He says this, he said, greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for his friends. I love you so much, I'm willing to lay down everything for you. So loving the kingdom of God is always more than we expect. It's always a more than type of love. It's always more than the limits that we might impose. And even though God's love is more than, the LGBT plus community has often received a less than love from the church. And I believe it's time for the church to reverse that, to demonstrate a more than love to everyone around us, to demonstrate what love and reconciliation and healing looks like. When Keely and I first arrived in Whitstable, coming up to six years now. It is six years, isn't it? Coming to seven. Wow, seven years nearly. Um, it just feels like family. When we arrived, we still weren't sure why God had sent us here. We still weren't sure what, what the vision was, what the purpose was. And so we were praying, we were saying, God, what's your blueprint? What's, what do you want for this church that we're being part of? And we felt him speak to us. We felt him say, we want you to be part of a church that is good for everyone. So back in January 2016, I preached a sermon on being good for everyone. And I said this. I said, I think this has a twofold meaning. People will encounter God's goodness as they hear the gospel and receive Jesus. 
and Riverside will become an expression of God's goodness to the community that we serve. And so to be good for everyone means to be good for everyone. And that includes the LGBT plus community. And that means for us becoming an affirming church, not just a welcoming church. As Anne Dannerall said so clearly last week in her talk, this means we have no hidden glass ceilings in our structure, in our community, that someone is going to hit sooner or later if they come and be part of us. If a church welcomes a gay person but doesn't fully affirm them, they perform what could be described as a bait and switch. Baiting and switching is a sales tactic, an unethical one. And it's used to lure people into uh, buying something. There's an attractive, attractive offer put out there to somebody. But that offer turns out to be a false one. A person takes the bait of the attractive offer only to have it switched to a much more costly one. Baiting and switching is unethical and it's illegal in most countries. If a church welcomes but doesn't affirm someone from the LGBT plus community, they're performing a kind of bait and switch. The welcome offer of God's unconditional love is a beautiful one and a person might receive that and come into a church. But at some point, the real offer is presented, which Steve Bernhope so outlined so well in his talk a couple of weeks ago. The real offer is that to be fully accepted in this community, you need to remain single and celibate. You cannot pursue a same-sex relationship, and you certainly cannot commit to somebody else in marriage. Now, I can only imagine the pain of experiencing that kind of bait and switch. Because to come into a community and to become vulnerable and to risk making new relationships is costly. You ask anybody who joins a new church, it's a big thing to do. It's a big hump to get over, but you do it, and you move into it, and it feels safe, and it feels secure, and at some point, the switch happens. We had an email only yesterday from someone who had been following our journey uh, with the church, and they said this, I particularly want to thank you both for your bravery in leading your church towards an affirming position in the LGBTQ plus stance. I've been in too many churches that say, we love you, the person, but then cannot follow through the unconditional love without adding a but. That's a really uncomfortable place to be. On my church journey in recent years, I long so much to feel part of the church family, but ultimately knowing you don't quite fit when it comes down to the nitty-gritty of things, it's so painful. That was just yesterday. So for Riverside to be a church that is good for everyone, it means for us to be a fully affirming church, not just welcoming. And affirming means we celebrate that person. We support that person. We want to celebrate and support every person that comes to Riverside. And if a gay person wants to move into a faithful, monogamous, committed relationship with somebody, we will support them in that. We'll even support them into marriage. Because that for us is a faithful, monogamous expression that is valid. So we will and we want to treat everyone equally in God's love. Because we feel God's love does not have limits. It does not have the limits that the church has imposed upon it. We want to help people encounter God's love and bring them into the goodness of God's love. So we believe this is what good for everyone looks for, like for us as we go forward 
as Riverside Church. Now, I hope I've put an earworm in your head this morning with I'll do anything for love, but I won't do that. So I want you to go away from today thinking about, is there a that in your life? Is there a that in your life that's limiting the flow of God's love through you to other people? And if there is a that, I want you to take that that to God. Say, God, would you help me with this? Will you speak to me about this? You might be here this morning and be absolutely fine with our direction as a church about inclusion, but you still might carry a different that. You might carry a different that in your spirit this morning. You might have a love-limiting that that God wants to speak to you about. You might struggle with releasing forgiveness. That might be the that for you. You might struggle with a critical spirit. That might be your that. You might struggle to be generous. You might struggle to be gracious. You might have any kind of that that you carry that is limiting God's love flowing through you to other people. I want to encourage you this morning. Is there something in your life like that? You'll do anything for love, but there's something that's limiting God's love flowing through you. We're going to take communion together in a moment. And it's a great, great opportunity to do business with God. It's a great time to talk to God, a time to be still and allow him to speak to you. He knows you. He knows everything about you. There are no surprises to him. So you can talk to him about anything in your life, anything you feel is limiting your experience. You see, the that you carry might not only limit God's love flowing through you, it might limit your ability to receive God's love. God wants to speak to you about that, wants to bring healing to that. As the love we've received, we give to others. And if you're struggling to receive God's love this morning, you'll struggle to give that love away to others. And perhaps you feel like you've only got a small amount of love. God wants to give you more. He wants to have his generous love flow through you to other people. When we take communion, we remember and celebrate that limitless love that Jesus showed us, don't we? No greater love has he than he's prepared to lay down a life for a friend. And Jesus calls you friends. He lays down his life for you. And so as we take communion, as we take those simple elements, we're remembering that wonderful, wonderful act of limitless love. We're not called to be people like the unmerciful servant who receive a wonderful, extravagant act of love and then go and choke somebody for a few pennies. We're called to be channels of God's generous, limitless love to other people. So let's stand together and just prepare our hearts. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to contact us about this talk, To hear more or to find out about Riverside Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at WhitRiverside.